Hey everybody, welcome to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two fantastic hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, aka Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who played Lieutenant Tom Paris. If you are interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added bonus fun segments, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up to become a patron. Hey, Robbie. Hey, buddy. How'd you like you, that delivery? That was good. <laughs> you know what? I had a uh, I had a uh, inspiration while you were doing the intro just now. Because yeah, I usually just let, you know, I listen to your dramatic reading of that intro <laughs> and the welcome. And I always, I'm just kind of sitting back. But this time I thought, what if, for those on the on the video version of this, what if I did an interpretive like movement experience to what you're describing. So your intro, you'll be saying it, but I'll be doing sort of an interpretive movement dance. In fact, let's try it right now. So just okay, re redo the intro. We're gonna, we're gonna redo for the intro. For those of you that are that. just listening, sure. just listening, you're gonna miss this. But for those of you watching, I'm gonna in do an interpretive. Okay. Okay. Wait, we hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay, and three, two, one. Hey everyone, welcome to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, AKA Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who portrayed Lieutenant Tom Paris. If you are interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added bonus fun segments, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up to become a Patreon patron. How was that? Oh. I love it. Uh, you know, you know, the production value you. just keeps thank going you. higher and higher. On we just keep line. adding. We keep exciting. Adding so many, yes. just oh, so much creative gosh. excitement. Like I'm it's jumping out of my. It's skin. truly amazing. Out of my clothes, out of my I, Delta I, Flyers T-shirt right now. In fact, you are wearing a new Delta Flyers yes, cursive uh, shirt, and yes, we have to be I descriptive for those people that are listening. Right? Yeah, I love um, this new shirt. I love the shirts. They're soft cotton, very yeah. comfortable. Yeah. Re Rebecca did these designs. They're super hip and cool. By the way, I'm also wearing the Delta Flyers trucker, trucker cap. cap. Look how beautiful that thing That's is. That's the trucker cap. I love this trucker yeah. cap. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know what? We should probably tell people where they can check this stuff out. Um, the deltaflyers.org. That's the uh, web address for our that merch. Is? So yeah. All right. So you can get that trucker cap, which looks very good on you. And that Thank new you. shirt looks wonderful. Um, we're very excited to to finally get inventory in on all our products. So yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. yeah, they're cool. I think they're really cool designs. Rebecca did an awesome job designing everything and mm -hmm. and it's totally uh, my style for sure. Yeah, a little, a little hipster, maybe a little kind of, I don't know what you call it. It's, it's just cool. They're cool. It's just cool stuff, you know, yeah. and, and like, and if you get it, no one's gonna, people are gonna be like, Oh, that's a cool shirt. And then they'll probably ask you what is the Delta Flyers and then yeah. you can tell them. Yeah. Um, so hey, why don't you tell me a little bit about your recent RV trip? How was that? Oh, yes, the RV trip. Yeah, I went to uh, Rebecca, and I went up to the North Georgia mountains, because I live nice. in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we went up to this uh, vineyard, the Cottage Hill Vineyard and Winery. It is a beautiful, it's one of the most beautiful spots I've ever been to. Oh, Stunning. Sweet. Most people don't think of Georgia as a mountain place, but there are beautiful, the Southern Appalachian Mountains are, are come into North Georgia and yeah. the Appalachian Trail starts here in Georgia. Yeah. Um, beautiful mountains, a uh, little town of Blue Ridge, Georgia. Rebecca posted some images on, on social media and they look amazing. Yeah. It's just the, like, I, probably no filter either, right? I mean, just to see that I, stuff. She doesn't cool. use much filter on her stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it was just stunning. And, and the first night we got there, we got there uh, up to Cottage Hill Vineyard around seven or eight o'clock and the sun was just starting to dip. So we got a perfect spot up uh, on a hill at the vineyard to watch the sunset. And then as the sun was setting and it was getting cool, 
all of this fog rolled in. So all <laughs> around us, this thick, like beautiful, misty sort of, they call uh, the mountains up there also the Smoky Mountains because of all that fog that just sort of hangs in the valleys and the little, they call them the hollers. The hollers? Yeah, they call them the hollers. The hollers. All these, all these little, uh, you know, divots in the in the mountains and uh, the, the fog will sort of settle and just hang in there. So it looks like the mountains are have smoke all around them. But I love that. Beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah, it was a nice, nice. That weekend. is so cool. That reminds me of um, when I was in, living in Los Angeles. I would say of the, the entire time that I lived there, maybe two or three times in the morning, there would be this fog, a blanket of fog or cloud cover or whatever that would just cover everything just below my my the line of where my house the altitude of how high my house was and yeah. so it looked like my house was sitting in the clouds it was wow. just it, it was amazing you would see the hollywood sign the clouds and that's it no, no, no nothing below that and it wow. was yeah, very similar to the photos that uh, rebecca yeah. posted so. yeah it's really beautiful i love traveling and i love camping and i love rving and, and you got uh, the new rv got the new rv yeah, things, things, uh, things. This quarantine has, you know, has been a great opportunity to, to do things that um, that I've always wanted to do. Like I've really yep. always wanted to have an RV to be able to just to pick up and get away for a weekend or yeah. travel somewhere and kind of bring things that you know feel homey and and mm -hmm. uh, yeah it looks nice very modern but better yeah. than the trailers that we had on voyager actually. yes, so, <laughs> yes <yeah. that's> right. <laughs> all right so this week's episode jatrell jatrell that's what we're going to be talking about yes um so for those of you uh who are listening on the podcast robbie and i are going to go watch the episode and we're going to come right back with our discussion and yep. um, our analysis and for those patreon patrons um, who are following us, we are about to play a game of What Do We Remember? Hey guys, we are back from watching Jatrell. Robbie? Yes. yes? You do a quick synopsis of uh, what this episode is about? Oh, geez, I forgot about this part. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. This is like a pop quiz in high I school. I got this. Junior high. Okay. Well, it's it's a it's a pretty straightforward episode. Mm. Um, it opens up in the very first scene with us. Uh, not the very first scene, but basically, beginning of the episode starts with us approaching, uh, getting a a hail from someone who wants to see uh, Neelix, and yeah. uh, it turns out it is a scientist doctor who invented basically a nuclear bomb that destroyed a whole colony, like a nuclear blast, mm -hmm. where Neelix had family. And uh, he's got to confront this man, and this man says, I'm here to help you and save you. Neelix doesn't want anything to do with it. One thing leads to another, and they have to confront each other and face each other. And um, Neelix is told that he's got this radiation poisoning, basically, mm -hmm. and that uh, the doctor wants to save him to make amends for what he did, inventing this bomb. It turns out that that's not true, that he actually is trying to reanimate all the people he killed uh, before he dies because he's dying himself of radiation. And he's unable to do that. That's sad. Uh, but in the end, Neelix uh, offers forgiveness to this doctor and, and, and to himself for his own secrets and the own, his own shame that he's been carrying. And, um, and the doctor dies. And it's very sad. It's a sad episode. Yeah. It's just bleak and sad from the get-go. That's my, the beginning of my share. <laughs> How, how's that for a synopsis? Yeah, man, I'll go with that. Uh, it is a bleak episode. I feel really, you know, just, I feel, I feel sad. I do after watching that episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's a, it's a tough episode to, to digest. There's not a lot of comedy going on. Zero. I, I uh, made the same note. I would love to talk about, as I understand it, when I, when I direct and produce television these days, um, I often fall back on some models. One of them is, is Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Yeah. Uh, the model of The Hero's Journey is you meet a hero in their normal world. You yeah. see how their life is 
And then there's an inciting event, a call to adventure happens. A duty, call to duty. Yes, call to duty, right? So something happens after we've had a, a little time to get to know our hero and their normal life and, and how it is. Then this call to, to action, and the hero goes on an adventure, a series of challenges that ultimately lead the hero to a place where something has to die to be reborn as a hero. Sometimes it's the hero's best friend. Sometimes it's the hero's puppy. Sometimes it's the hero himself. A part of him has to die in order to be reborn and come back to his normal life, but changed. Now he's a hero. Just stepping back from this episode for a minute, to yeah. me, anytime I, I watch an episode or I, I work on an episode, I often fall back to that model because it doesn't always have to happen in that chronological order. Sometimes we can dive into a story in the middle of a battle, and then there's flashbacks where you see before the guy. So maybe we take that hero's journey structure and we mix the, the, the events around a little, but the, the full meal of, of, a, of a good, well-told story is all of those elements. So that's, first of all, stepping back, that's my first comment is this has very little of that hero's journey in it. It is one bleak ride from the beginning. Literally, almost out of the gate, we see Neelix profoundly affected by this man showing up. Um, stories told over and over of the bleakness and the sadness and the, it, it, was, a, it was a very, ambitious and very challenging to act this story because it's a very hard story. It's not, it's not well-structured. Mm -hmm. There's not much um, opportunity for the audience to experience that full meal, that how, how Neelix is before this happens and what it does to him and the series of challenges that he's got to actively try to solve the problem and mm -hmm. ultimately I guess letting go, letting the shame die, that's the part of him that dies in order to be reborn with forgiveness. And he comes back with forgiveness. There could have been a wonderful hero's journey structure to this story, but instead it was, I feel, very poorly structured, very one note, relentlessly bleak. So bleak that you tune out emotionally to it. I, I tune out after a while, I just, you can't comprehend a genocide like that when it's just told so relentlessly. And sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna ramble for a minute and digress. Mm -hmm. There is a museum in Los Angeles called um, the Museum of Tolerance, yeah. and it's a it's a Holocaust museum. And it's beautifully designed because when you walk into this museum, you get a passport. Yeah, and you get you get a little piece of paper like this that has printed on it a real person before World War II, a real, most, uh, often, most often Jewish person, but not always, sometimes they're not, there's someone, mm -hmm. but it's a real person's passport and it's a little mm -hmm. bit of their story, their history. What was their life like before World War II, before the Holocaust, before things happened? And you walk through this museum in chronological order. And then when you get to the very end, you go through the story of World War II and the German experience particularly the Jewish experience and the, and, and, and the effect that Nazism had on that culture and those people. When you get to the end, you get to see who your passport of that person that you saw their life before yeah. and you see if they survived or how they, what happened to them after. And it's oh, cool. so beautifully, I, I've been to that museum a number of times mm. and walking through it because it's structured like the hero's journey. It's so perfectly structured that you're, invested in this person's full life, their life before and during and after this war. And I didn't feel that with the Neelix story. I didn't feel that in this episode. And that's, I think, a huge missed opportunity because of the subject matter, that they didn't structure this in a way that, that really took you on an emotional ride, a full meal. It, it didn't feel that way to me. It felt very... Um, just relentless, I guess. That's that's before I even get into the episode. That's my. That's you can see where I'm coming yeah. from. I no, I, I I do, and and you know I think what you're referencing is that if you follow Joseph Campbell's structure in telling a story, 
the viewer, if they watch from beginning to the end, by the end of this story, they're going to feel a feeling of satisfaction that they've, you know, they've gone on this journey with the, uh, the writers and the actors. But in this particular case, in this episode, um, it doesn't really follow that structure. And mm -hmm. so you just end up with a feeling of blah at the end of it. You know what I'm saying? You're just feeling just, uh, I'm just drained is what it yeah. is. Um, I, and I agree with you on that one. And um, uh, regarding the Museum of Tolerance, which I, I would, I need to go check out. I haven't been to the one in LA, but, but I have been to the Canadian Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is a multi-level. I mean, this thing yeah. is unbelievable. I wow. think in square footage, I think it dwarfs the the, the one in LA. It's, wow. it's massive. And it just, it, it talks about, um, you know, atrocities across the world, basically. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite amazing. Um, but uh, and those kind of and, and because that's the subject matter of this episode, I guess mm. that's why I'm, I'll be honest, slightly angry about watching this episode. Okay, because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm like, this is too important to screw up this, this, yeah. if you're going to tell this story, because Star Trek is a, is a metaphor for real things in real life. It always has been since the original mm -hmm. series. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to take on this, this profound subject matter, you need to be respectful of the, of the responsibility that you have in telling that story. And I, I feel like this was um, not well, not well respected. Do you think maybe it succumbed to the restrictions and the limitations of the 42 minutes, um, you know, allowed? Because back in those days, right, yeah. you had to allow for the commercial breaks. Now, if you're watching a Netflix produced show, a Hulu produced show, it could be a full hour or longer, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas we kind of had that 42 minute as well as TNG, DS9, all those shows, we all yeah. had that same. Yeah. Could that have been it? I mean, could this yeah. have been a two-parter maybe and they would have been able to really adequately address it, you know? Well, um, like like we were just talking about recently on, on one of our Patreon Zoom calls mm -hmm. with, our, with our Admiral level people, we were talking about uh, Picard yeah. and that series and how they uh, serialize the story. It's not episodic. Like our show, every episode was a little self-contained story. Mm -hmm. And as soon as it was over, we didn't, we, we rarely carried through from episode to episode any of the character elements or relationship. I mean, some things, like I guess, Balana and Tom staying together over the course of a few years right. was an ongoing story, but it was, we would sort of touch on it and then leave it yeah. and touch on it. With this, I feel like it deserved a little more time than that one episode. I think you're right. The 42 okay. minutes is not, not enough time. And if they had started this story, planted the seeds with Neelix a couple episodes back, yeah, you know, that whatever part of the story they wanted to focus on, if it was the atrocities, to start to say, hey, is something about this bothering you? You seem... You seem touchy about this mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this area, you know, and see him repress and repress and repress or yeah. something, so that by the time we got here, we had earned a little bit of the emotional values that that he was asked to 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 act. What I remember is Ethan Phillips saying to me, "Oh my God, this script! I am so afraid of the script because it's mm. he really. I think I rem that's why I remember it because Johnny." said to me a number of times, I remember him talking about, this is like doing a Holocaust story. This is like doing a genocide story. And it's so emotionally loaded that I don't want to screw it up, you know? And, and I think he was trying really hard, maybe too hard sometimes in, in this rewatch today. I felt like, yeah. I felt like Johnny was pushing a little bit sometimes, but I think it's because he felt the weight of this story and didn't know how to, you know, give it what it, what he felt it was due. Yeah. I'll just be honest and say, I thought the writing was, was a fail. I thought the direction was, was not good. Uh, mm -hmm. did not help. I felt okay. on every cylinder, this particular episode for the first time all season was broken on almost every cylinder, every level. I was like, Oh, that's not, it's not helping. That's mm -hmm. not helping. That's not helping. Yeah. Anyway. 
story by James Thompson and Scott Nemerfro, I think was the last name. Teleplay by Jack Klein and Karen Klein. Looks like a husband and wife writing team and Ken Biller, directed by Kim Friedman. So that is the little bit of backstory. And just to for those listeners out there, maybe we haven't talked about this before, but Ethan Phillips we refer to as is Johnny. So yeah, um, his nickname is Johnny. By that. Yeah, so we say Johnny. Um, what I did find interesting is that in the opening credits, this is probably the first time that I've ever seen a guest star listed where his name is listed and then his character. It said James Sloyan as Jatrell, and whereas all the other episodes, they don't list, wow. it just says the name. It doesn't say the character too. So obviously this gentleman, um, and just to explain it uh, to all the listeners and viewers out there, that's something that agents always typically fight for their, their actor clients is, is billing. Like, where is the billing? Where, meaning, where does your name appear in the credits? Yeah. And how does it appear in the credits? And so this gentleman obviously had enough of a resume or, or, or enough relationship that he could get and a little extra bit in there to have his character and his name. And he was the top billing as the guest star, obviously. He's it's also interesting. It's smart. It's smart of the agent because they saw the title of the episode, Jatrell. Was him, right? And yeah. so they asked for that and pushed for it. And it, 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 you know, often it'll say, you know, John, John Doe as Jimmy, the barber or whatever. Right. It, you don't really know that that's an important role necessarily, but in the title, it, you know, the character's name is the title of the episode. It clearly. Mm -hmm. So that made, you know, that, that piqued my interest. I caught that, which you may, you may or may not have seen that. I didn't and when I, that. when I did catch that, I said, well, let me just look into this actor's resume. And well, clearly he's another one of these actors that have been used multiple times in the Star Trek franchise in TNG. Um, he was a Romulan admiral. Um, he also played uh, Worf's son as an adult, uh, Alexander, Worf's son. Uh, he was in Deep Space Nine. Um, he portrayed a, a Bajoran scientist. Um, also, he was a Guardian scientist. Uh, and then, of course, in Voyager, he's Jatrell. So he's done multiple incarnations of Trek. Um, the other thing, I don't know if you notice this, but from the minute we see Jatrell um, come out of that, he transports onto Voyager, the minute we see his character and he starts talking, did he remind you of anybody? His voice? I don't know. Who? Who are you thinking? Rick Berman. Oh, interesting. That entire time, I'm like, holy moly, this is Rick Berman, the executive producer. Even his, even his face, I know he had all the prosthetics on, but he even looked like Rick Berman to me. I mean, it was, <laughs> it blew me away. That's I, funny. I, so if you, you know, if you get a chance, rewind a little bit and just listen to his voice. It's incredibly dead on to Rick Berman. Um, wow. I, I, I just couldn't get that out of my head the whole time I was watching. And then even there's a scene where he talks about, Jutrell tells Neelix how um, he lost people too. Neelix is like, well, in what way? Like they died and he goes, well, my wife treated me like I had a disease and, and she left me and she took my three kids along with her. Yeah. And then I, and Berman has three kids as oh, well. So yeah. it was sort of like these weird parallels. And I was like, oh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just couldn't get Berman out of my head this entire episode just watching this guy go on. Interesting. Um, yep. And speaking of, what we remember. Yeah. I honestly thought that you, and I, and I said, you and I had very little do, to do in this episode. You actually had more to do in this episode than I did. Um, you were on screen more. I only had uh, a minute and 30 seconds into it. I, uh, sorry, a minute and 52 seconds into it. I have one line. I say, the alien ship is entering visual range, Captain. And that's it. You're in the beginning scene when we're in Sandrine's. Yeah. You're in the, uh, you are in the the uh, dream, the dream sequence in Sandrine's. Initially, um, I wrote down why Paris. Why are you in this dream sequence? But then I figured out this is your holodeck. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, are you in anything else besides those two? The bridge or, stuff. That's it. Well, Roxanne, yeah. Roxanne was not in the episode until almost thirty minutes in. Yeah. I heard her Roxanne. voice over the comm, and I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot Roxanne!" Yeah. And so I checked the time, and then it went to engineering, and she. She was there just to beam in the uh, the yeah. sample of the the atmospheric sample. That was it. That's the only scene. Her hair short in this episode. It's shorter. I don't know if you. Oh really? That. I didn't notice yeah. that. 
Yeah. I did and like then, Kate's Bun of Steel. I thought it, was, it went back to Bun of Steel again. So yeah. you like that bun, though? Well, that, it wasn't as bad. For some reason, it was a little tighter. It was a little softer. I don't know. It didn't bother me as much, the Bun of Steel. This, this That's episode. a little contradictory. Tighter and softer? So it was more, yeah. it was a little looser, maybe. And, and, well, and sometimes softer, it's right? like, sometimes it's like, ooh, it's a big, giant, you know, it's, <laughs> it's like a bee's hive, you know. A beehive on top of it is. It's like it's like the musical hairspray. She's got the big. <laughs> it's huge, but it wasn't as huge this episode. I and, and here's another thing before, and we should get into like the the episode specifically. But yeah, the other thing I'm going to say, besides lacking in any structure that that re resembled the hero's journey or anything mm -hmm. effective in my mind, yeah. it also lacked any B story or any comedy. Right. There was no, and, and often, so a B story is when our main story uh, is, is usually, well, it would be the, the Neelix story in this episode, but a B story might have been uh, Torres in engineering trying to figure something out. And often the B story is an opportunity to have a different, a different uh, feeling, a tone. So if the A story is very dramatic, your B story might be light and comedic. And then in theory, those two stories kind of echo each other in some way. The, the, mm -hmm. the lesson that you're learning in the A story, let's say the lesson in this episode was we have to forgive in order to have freedom or to have peace yeah. in our life. You know, we yeah. need forgiveness. We need to give and get forgiveness. Let's say that's the, the theme. The B story, if it were uh, Balana in engineering, might be she's got to admit a mistake she's made in some project in engineering. So you could have it be a funny story where she just can't seem to get it right. And then finally in the end, she goes, you know what, I realized I made the first mistake. And I, so your themes kind of support each other. And that's good uh, to use a fancy word, dramatur dramaturgical sort of story structure. Like you want good story structure to where the audience feels like they've had a full meal. Like, yeah. oh, I've had, I've had the highs and the lows, I've laughed, I've cried, and I've, and I've thought about something on multiple levels, my own life, the character's life. This had none of that. It was like, yeah. it was like straight at the most relentlessly bleak backstory yeah. that we're not invested in. We're invested in these characters here and now, and none of that was really brought through very well. Anyway, I'll... I like your use of the word dramaturgical. That is basically techno babble for actors, basically, to use yes. the word dramaturgical. <laughs> yes. It's my fancy way of saying, like, well, well uh, thought out and well constructed yeah. storytelling. That's, yeah. you know, it's, and it was not well thought out or well constructed, in my opinion. It did not. Yeah. And again, that could be to the constraints of the uh, limited uh, time allowed per episode yeah. that we had yeah. um and uh also also the subject matter i really like you talk about the holocaust and and i didn't really think of the holocaust during this episode i thought of i thought of uh hiroshima the atomic bomb moment. yes yeah. the atomic bomb dropped on hiroshima and uh, nagasaki that's what yeah. i thought about because you know let's face it that's the first i think we're the first country that's ever done that you know as yeah. in the united states and since this show is produced in the United States by American writers and producers and actors for the most part. Yeah, no, we were all American. We didn't have any, anybody else from any other country, really. Mm -hmm. um, it is a shameful part of our history you know, yes. to think about, because it's one thing to drop, to, to, to unleash a weapon on, foreign, on troops that are aggressors against your own troops, trying to kill your people, right? But then it's a whole nother thing to unleash a weapon of mass destruction on civilians, which is yeah. essentially what our country did, right? Yes. So maybe that's part of what, what the writers were thinking about. Like, you know what? We don't, we don't even, even need a B storyline. We really need to hammer it in how, how horrible it was, you know, that, that, that this happened in our history by, by having this, this episode sort of, mir sort of mirroring yeah. um, the, the history of the United States during World War II. And it was, it was uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it would have been wonderful to see some type of B storyline, but it, it wasn't there. No, there was not at all. And no, um, no jokes. Uh, so let's start from the beginning, Sandrine. So we're in Sandrine's and Neelix is in there and he's, yeah. he's uh, trying to figure out what shot to take. And yeah. Tom Paris suggests that he make a defensive maneuver. A safety. Uh, a safety mm -hmm. and, uh, and put a ball in front of a pocket. And Neelix um, 
just can't comprehend well, that. Well, he like, calls it he calls it cowardly. Cowardly. Right? That's yes. the first you know little glimpse of what this episode is about, right? Cowardly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he calls it cowardly, but but chooses to do it, and then uh, and then Tuvok decides he's going to make a very logical shot, and uh, and what he doesn't know is that the uh, table's tilted, and so his shot goes off and into for a scratch. But I love the moment where the where Neelix and Tom and what's his name the the holographic uh, pool shark guy. Uh, the tall, skinny guy. I can't think. Of yeah, name. we're all standing there. We watch Tuvok's ball go in for a scratch, and then all three heads sort of turn. It was about the only light moment in the whole episode <laughs> where we kind of all look up, and I don't know if that was directorial or if we just decided or luck, but but I, you know, sometimes those little physical comic yeah. things, even if they're light like that, I think are. are so helpful in this so, episode. So that's a use. bit of a B storyline then, the lightness of that that moment. But it didn't go anywhere. Like it, yeah. you know, that, that yeah. was the only scene in there except for his nightmare later on, which yeah. we'll get to that, but. Uh, right. But, uh, um, I also think another light part of the episode would be Neelix's chef hat and apron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, Megan instantly commented, that reminds me of Rugrats combined with Saved by the Bell. Like the background of Rugrats has these very geometric uh -huh. patterns and then saved by the bell colors. And so there's a little lightness in this episode. If you really look hard, you can find something. As a director, I, I find that when the camera, if I'm a camera standing here, that I want the action coming towards the camera. I want the actor's eyes looking near the lens so that we really get two eyes and we feel what they're feeling. And what I found in this opening scene on the bridge was we were looking at the sides of faces or the backs of heads for a lot of it. And there was not much coverage. It was like Neelix came in and then there was Janeway looking off over here. And then the camera panned Neelix walking away from the camera. Why did he go? Why didn't he just come straight down to talk to Janeway instead of going all the way in the back by, by Harry's station? I'll tell you why, because Harry had a line and then she didn't, and they didn't want to cover the scene. So they, ask the actors to walk and stage things in awkward ways so that they could just do it all in one shot. So immediately I was like, oh no, I, sometimes that can work if the blocking yeah. makes logical sense. But yeah, immediately, it makes sense. But immediately uh, Neelix came in and was doing something illogical. Why is he walking all the way around the long way? I don't remember him walking that long way. Did he walk that long way? Yeah. Because I, I, when I watched it, I think I did have coverage. There was a single on me when I said Maybe that there was. I, I just found, and, and, and maybe I'm imagining a different sequence. Yeah. Uh, but Do you think Kim my, chose that on purpose? Maybe to cause you to feel uncomfortable because of the, the subject Maybe. Matter? I mean, I would, yeah, I, would, I would, that would be a nice way of giving credit. But I found consistently, to. I know you're, yeah. you're playing I'm good cop this episode. I am. <laughs> um, I found that, Consistently in this episode, yeah. that the coverage, uh, the staging and coverage of the scenes to me uh, did not help. In fact, it hurt often. The moments where there was real emotion, mm -hmm. people are walking away or turned away or we're in profile. And when yeah. there was not much emotion, we were in these crazy close ups that was yeah. just like, why are we? This is not, you know, some shows that I've directed, this kind of really tight close up is a great shot. It's yeah. the style of the show. Right. Voyager was very old fashioned. A close up was like this. It was a that was a close up. Yeah. We rarely came into these kind of tight shots. And if they, we did, we earned it through the story and through the drama and tension that that had built. This was in the very the so, second the second yeah. scene of the episode, and already we're like we're into weird weird coverage. I just found myself. You would say this is an extreme close-up, right? Yep. When it's that super tight. And so when it's when the shot is pulled out a little wider, is that what you would call a dirty single? Or what, what do would, you call that? I would call this a close-up. That's a close-up, okay. And I would call, sorry, I'll go back further. <laughs> I would call this a single. Like, okay. And then I would call something that, you see my shorts? Something that framed <laughs> down here and up there. Something yeah, like that. A cowboy. The reason they call it a cowboy is because they used to frame cowboys with their guns and their holsters, and they'd, uh, they'd keep yeah. the holster, yeah. the 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 pistol and the holster would be at the bottom of the frame in frame, yeah. right? So that you knew they were a cowboy. Yeah, so that's called a cowboy size, right? 
and then a single, and then a close-up, and then an extreme close-up. Right. Um, My apologies to the listeners out there who don't see this. They can't, they can't really get a frame of reference, but it is very interesting to, to see the different types of singles that you can Yeah, our, our, uh, our show did not do extreme close-ups very often, and usually yeah. it was deeper into an episode and used pretty specifically. Uh, otherwise, we had alien makeup. They wanted to see all the, the alien head and the ears. Yeah. And, well, uh, am, am I incorrect to say that we that we had that terminology of a dirty single at all? Is that something that was used, or the word "dirty" preceding the word "single"? A dirty single my... would be something in the foreground, so like a over the shoulder. So instead of oh, a, oh, in, okay. you know, so instead of a a, a single, which would be mm -hmm. a loose in my mind, a loose looser than a close up. Um, right. Uh, if it, you had a single on someone and you put the person they're talking to just their shoulder in the foreground, that would be called a dirty single. Okay, so there's a little bit of the other person that they're talking to yeah. kind of in the foreground. Over, okay. over the shoulder over that shoulder. another yeah. another term. All right. Anyway, I found in that first scene already, uh, directorially, I was like, whoa, why, why are we doing it this way? Because mm -hmm. the story seems to want to build in a different way. And it was just kind of, it was like yo-yoing. It was like characters walking away from the lens and then coming near the lens and the sizes were all mixed up and nothing okay. was consistent. So anyway, right. that was my feeling on the bridge and, and, and uh, Neelix ends up very emotionally affected and, and running off into the turbo lift. And that's how mm -hmm. we go out, out of the teaser. Yeah. And deep oh, yeah. distress. Very much so. Um, also, I want to say in, in Sandrine's, I noticed a ton of smoke, atmospheric smoke. So yes. often, often we will uh, put smoke in a room because it will help give shafts of light. Because when you've got a little bit of atmospheric smoke in the room, uh, sunlight coming in through a window or moonlight or, or light fixtures will sh shine down shafts of light and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and they'll give you a certain atmosphere. There was so much smoke in that first scene in Sandrine's and there was no light shafts so i was like why are they putting all this smoke in there it just seemed so it was smoke for no reason almost right distracting it was, to yeah. me. yeah yeah wow so a lot of very awkward elements all around whether it was the camera angles the choice of, of blocking uh the choice me, of using smoke yeah yeah to me and that. this is again this is all subjective i'm sure there's fans out right. there that love this episode right and and just accept it for what it is but for me knowing Knowing our actors personally, knowing Ethan Phillips personally, and knowing that boy, this episode should have been better for him, and I and mm -hmm. I and and I felt like he was struggling and and floundering a lot emotionally. Yeah, he still he still turned in a great performance overall, though. I, I feel yeah, like, you know, uh, he, did, he did what he had to do. He hit his marks and he said what he had to say, and he had yeah. you know he had emotion behind it, and he had yeah. to try to hold himself back at times, you know, to not completely flip out. So. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say anything negative about uh, Neelix's performance. Um, and uh, yeah, so this, this disease, incipient metremia, caused mm -hmm. by the metrion cascade, causes the body's atomic structure to undergo fission. A lot of science here. Radiation poisoning. It's basically, <laughs> it's radiation poisoning. Uh, but just the whole concept of actually, you know, the final, we, we figure out what Jatrell really is trying to do. But then, but then your question is, did he really come to this idea after he discovered the transporter technology as something that he could use? Or did he already know that he could use the transporter technology to do what he was going to do? That's you know? a good and question. I, that's chicken a or the egg. I don't that's know. a really good question because that became the whole reason he stayed on the ship was, mm -hmm. and the reason that he lied about Neelix, like he, why would, unless he was just fishing, maybe he scanned that there was a Talaxian on board and thought, okay, I'll use this story that I'm trying to find out if he's got this, this, you know, disease. Right. And, and while I'm there, that'll give me an opportunity to pick up any technology that could help me with my real goal. Maybe. Yeah. I'll okay. say when he came in the transporter room, the makeup was very um, elaborate. It almost looked like the devil to me. It had this weird sort of like devilly mm. um, structure to the face. But then his hands had nothing on them. And I thought, yeah. and it was very, dis and then I couldn't stop looking at that the rest of the episode. I'm like, why right. didn't they just put, put some bumps or something on his hand? Because this, yeah. this was so not human, but yet the hands were, they might have put a little color on it, maybe. I don't know. It looked like 
regular human hands. I did like his facial prosthetics as far as aliens go. I mean, yeah, I did it too. Was very detailed, different layering. Um, wasn't overtly, didn't have underlying tones of, of sex. Like, you know, sometimes we have aliens yeah. that literally it looks like they, like on their forehead is, is a penis or a vagina. And it's just like, yeah. oh my God, uh, this, this one really looked like, okay, they, they really thought this through. It's yeah, I liked the facial makeup a lot. That's why I was disappointed when in the wider shots when you saw his hands, because I'm like, yeah. Ah, yeah. it just feels like a rubber mask on an actor now. Yeah, I'll play good cop on this one too. You know, we, we are even, not only are we under the gun, most of the times we would get our script the night before we started shooting and we'd get revisions yeah. maybe the morning of. I think also the makeup department's under, under gun. You know? uh, yes, they're sitting they are. here trying to sit there and get that. They've got to, first they got to mold all this stuff in clay, right? And then yeah. once they've done that, then they make this, then they make a cast of that and they, they, then they lay, the, they, they put the latex in there. I mean, there's a whole gun. And then they, oh, they have to do a, a cast of the actor's face too, right? Yeah. They have to first do first they stuff. do the cast of the actor. Sorry. Then, then they, 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 they uh, mold a, a head of the actor. Right. Then they do the clay on, on top of that. Top, top of mm -hmm. the head of the actor. So it'll, correct. Yep. And then they a do bit. a mold and then they take both of those molds and do like a negative of that negative space it's very complicated it is complicated and they probably said yeah it takes a little while and this process is a multi-step process and i really feel like they put all this time into getting the face that detailed and they were like oops no time for the hands you know so and yeah. then you're right it does pull you out because you expect like why would this alien have completely humanoid human being hands compared mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. everything else on this guy's face right because if yeah. you look at neelix neelix has stuff going on in his hands it's different you know yeah. um he's he he should and the Hakonian like jatrell is should also have the same thing when yeah he comes in the transporter room beams aboard and Neelix has to undergo a medical scan. Um, first, Neelix is, is resistant to it. He just doesn't want to be anywhere near him. Cass and Janeway then convince him, look, That's if right. you got, if you have this disease, you should know, you know. And um, then there's that whole scene where Neelix is like, you know, you know, I, I'm kind of happy now because because he does, he has these, the, the one scene where he's upbeat is when he realizes if he's going to die first, he'll die before Kess does. Because Kess's lifespan as an Okampa is only eight or nine years. So yeah. she's she doesn't really have much time left. So yeah. he kind of feels like, hey, you know what? One of the biggest things is, is, is losing you. I, I would be devastated. And for me to go first is actually making me happy. And so um, he finally agrees to having this test. Uh, they're in the sick bay. And this is where Megan made a comment. Megan said that, you know, I think Kess is in love with the doctor. <laughs> I started thinking, Neelix has nothing to worry about Tom Paris. It should be the doctor that he's <laughs> yeah, that, that's that, right. that he should be worried about. Because he's always like, Doctor, are you you should get a name and you have in prior episodes, you know, you you have you're 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 nervous about this. You you deserve more, you know, it's she's always the champion of the doctor. You know? Yeah. And and Neelix trusts the doctor. He can figure something out, blah, blah, blah. And so it really is it's it's interesting, you know, that yep. there is this a strong bond between those two, or at least her toward the doctor. I will say when um, Neelix tells the story to Kess about going back to the planet mm -hmm. and seeing these monsters approaching, mm -hmm. and one of them was screaming or making noises, and then he realized it wasn't a beast or, a, or, or an animal, it was a little girl. Yeah. And that little, that story was just so sad to me. Um, yeah. And, 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 and Ethan Phillips had so many of those stories to tell in this episode. Yeah. And he did such a great job of, I, I, I find his character, but I think because I know Johnny, Ethan, um, we know him and I know what, uh, he's such a innocent isn't the right word because <laughs> he can be dirty, <laughs> tell dirty jokes and uh, it's not innocent, but dirty. it's, there's like a, the, a vulnerability or a sweetness about Johnny that I also instill in this character, you know, when I watch him do it. It just, mm. it's, it's all heart, it's all sort of feeling. And yeah. in this, this particular episode, I thought that was very challenging because the feelings are so big, you know, that, um, yeah. like that moment when he talks about that girl, the little girl, I thought there were some of those anecdotal moments that the writers did come up with that were incredibly moving and very effective like yeah. that, but again, because of the structure being all over the place and then all the other elements to me conspired to, to amplify the bad structure, it just didn't work. I'm gonna refer back to when you were mentioning how 
Johnny came up to you and said like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about this upcoming episode, how, how you know, if he's going to be able to effectively act what yeah. he needs to do in this. And, and if, if you think about it, everything else he's done up until this point really is just, um, you know, oh, Mr. Vulcan, here, I've made your plomique soup for you. You know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm known for my Faragoid goulash across the galaxy. Everything's very light, 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 light. And I, uh, uh, I am infamous for, I used to, that was my, you know, my, <laughs> yeah. I would joke with Johnny always. I was like, my, I, that was the one thing I would always, when I see him, I'd sit there and go, my Faragoid goulash is known across seven <laughs> star systems. I would do my little impersonation of him for him, which he would laugh. Um, the other thing that we joke around with, I'm, I'm adding some lightness to this podcast. Episode. Yes, please do, please, I, yeah, I would, please, please. Like I would, he, he would, he would come on the bridge, and Neelix Johnny would sit there and go. He'd say, uh, "Neelix to Ensign Kim, Neelix to Ensign Kim," and I would go, "Beep, hi, you reached Kim. I'm not here right now." I wouldn't pretend <laughs> I had an answer machine <laughs> on my comm badge, so please leave a message at the tone, beep, and then he would he would go on with this little improv that we would do. So mm -hmm. um, it's, again, it, it, that story that he's on the bio bed and he's telling Cass about how there were these little vermin creatures in the garden that he invented this trap to capture. Oh, them. Yeah. And, I, and I really think that that was just for him to sort of dig it into Jutrell a little bit, you know, because yeah. he says, he says like, they, they've got these fangs and these claws and they're vicious. And then I caught one, but it wasn't dead. It was still alive and I found it. And it was making and then it didn't seem feelings like of, yeah, scary... it wasn't an animal. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't this, this little beast or of a scary animal any longer. It was, it was crying in pain. And I, and, and, and that's when Jutrell is like, are you finished? And especially when he says, are you finished? He sounds exactly like Berman uh, uh, when he's talking about, are you finished with that story? Mm. And that's when he tells him, Mr. Neelix, you know, uh, Mr. Neelix, you are, you are infected with this, uh, with this degenerative blood disease. So he tells him that at mm -hmm. that point. You did, you did see how that was, that, that story was to dig at yeah. Jutrell, right? That yeah. was also uh, another story of, 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 of uh, anguish and, and yeah. just. I, I'll, I'll say like at this point in our story, it's the first time all season that I remember Janeway having very little to do as well. Mm -hmm. It's the first time in the series where I was surprised at how, um, how little they gave Janeway to do. Mm -hmm. She was not in the, the, like, she's in her ready room and has the, I think it's her ready room and has the conversation with Jutrell where he talks about the transporter technology. And if we go back to uh, um, this planet or this moon, then I can beam some of this atmospheric sample I need to maybe cure all this. And so she kind of sorts, she, she, you know, evaluates that and decides to do it. But, um, but that's about the, I mean, she has very little to do, you know what I mean? Yeah. She's not, I, there was, there's a scene later on. I can't remember. That's all of us though, Robbie. That's all of us. That's Paris. That's Torres. That's Janeway. Yeah. That's Kim. Chico was Chakotay, did Chakotay even have a line? I don't know. Oh even yeah. He had, a, he had a okay. few lines. Yeah. Again, very minimal for everybody. Very minimal. There was a scene later on in the uh, medical, in the med bay, where Neelix and Jatrell were there alone for a long scene. And, and Neelix tells um, a long story. They both do. It's a very long scene. Yeah. And I remember thinking at one point, like, Janeway would not allow, knowing what she knows, I don't think she would allow Neelix just to hang out with this guy in the medical yeah like, yeah like I, I, there were so many on so many levels i felt like the lack of consideration of the bigger picture um yeah was evident and that was one scene where i was just like i just don't buy that that, that our crew knowing how strongly neelix feels about this guy would allow him in the same room it wouldn't be yeah. safe for either one of them it's true yeah i found this episode was not it was not well supported by the director. There was a lot of blocking that felt forced. And in the moments where you wanted an actor, you know, to be leaning into the drama or leaning into the relationship across from him or her, the actor was off talking, you know, over here somewhere or walking mm -hmm. away from camera. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 I found that very frustrating. Um, I also, one thing I observed, very distracting. Another thing I observed about this, so Rick Berman told me, I remember when I was shadowing, 
he said, I have one thing that, that is very important to me. He said, this is called, what we're making is called motion pictures. It's not called still life paintings, meaning something should be moving. It should not okay. be just people sitting there talking like talking heads. This is from Rick Berman. He said, I either want in a scene the camera to be moving or I want the actors to be moving, but mm -hmm. I want the audience to remember we're watching living, breathing people and not yep. a photograph or a still life painting. Okay. And I found in this episode that none of that was true. The camera mm -hmm. never moved. Sometimes it would pan around, but that was about it, not much. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it was, you know, somebody walked into a scene and then they stood there and um, there was never any, I never saw any dramatic push-ins happening during a long story. It was just a static camera. I so never no Rick Colby, Les Landau creative moves like that. You didn't see that. Very little of that. There was not much camera movement and not mm -hmm. much actor movement. And when there was actor movement blocking, I felt like the blocking was not supporting the scene. I just, it felt arbitrary and awkward. So um, that's some directorial perspective on this episode. It's, and we, we had some amazing directors. Kim Friedman, who directed this, had done some good work before, but not in this episode. Okay. Um, I don't think so. And, and, I, and I feel like, um, you know, the one, one opportunity that could have been more subtle directorially was Neelix's Nightmare. It felt like they threw every film school um, <laughs> experiment at that nightmare scene. There were Dutch heads, which is a kind of a camera head that tilts sideways. It's often used in horror films where you'll tilt the, the horizon sideways so things seem uncomfortable. They had a Dutch head, but they were literally like spinning it back and forth, forth like, yeah. like this. And then there was like rock and roll lights going on. Like lighting was, you know, weird lights. And then there was whip pans and like every film school trick. And I don't mean that as a compliment. I mean that as like film students trying things that, that they think are fancy that aren't helpful to the story. That yeah, nightmare they, they to me- They don't further the story. They no, don't further the story. It, it, it felt that nightmare was all over the place and not, again, yeah. not subtle at all. One thing I remember directorially again um, during that nightmare was Marvin Rush has been a, was a fan of uh, Federico Fellini films, uh, the Italian amazing uh, you know, filmmaker. Yes. And Fellini's films were very uh, visually and, and, and uh, in terms of their writing, very stylized, very much based in the unconscious, the subconscious and a dreamlike world. They weren't always based in reality. Uh, you, might, you might call it magical realism or surrealism. Um, but Marvin was a big fan of Fellini. And I found that in that dream, I felt like maybe Kim Friedman had said to Marvin Rush, our director of photography, like, Marvin, what do you think we should do? You know, do you have any ideas? I think Marvin, Marvin took all the Fellini ideas and threw them into one like one scene. 20 second scene. <laughs> but uh, it did remind me that Marvin was a, a big fan of Fellini. And, right, I do uh, remember may, that too. May have borrowed some lighting and camera ideas there. Yeah, um, yep. Yeah. And the smoke, and the smoke. You didn't like the smoke, right? That I didn't like the smoke. There's, um, there's a website called First and, Last, First and Final Frames or First and Last Frames, and it mm -hmm. takes movies and it shows you the very first frame that you see in a movie. And yep. then it shows you the very last frame. And the idea of this website, which I love, is that those two images should tell you a story. That you should oh. be able to look at just the first frame of a movie and the last frame of a movie and be able to tell something about that movie. I was thinking about that during this because at the very end, Neelix walks away. And this is a Neelix story. Like this should have been you know, the camera should have turned around on Neelix as he walked out and hell, if you want a close up, if you want to shoot close ups, that's the place to shoot it. Okay. And see the satisfaction. He literally said, I forgive you. And he turned around. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't see his what? face. Like this yeah. is the Neelix story. <laughs> and he just did the most amazing thing. I want to see his face as he walks yeah. away and feels that relief. Why yeah. didn't she come around and do one shot that just, sorry, I'm, I'm a camera here, that just pulls with him as he walks yeah. out and has yeah. 
you know, that's the first. That was the perfect time. ending, right? And it was, and it was not, uh, it was perfect opportunity to do something um, for his episode to end on him, but it ends on the back of his head. He just, mm -hmm. so he just leaves sick bay, right? Yeah, and it's so, walks. yeah. But and again, I felt like the camera was often in this episode in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was it a should very, have, should have been completely the opposite of, of the choice that was made. So, Definitely, and that and that final scene, you're you're so right. It's an unsatisfactory meal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. you just had, you've just had MSG in your Chinese food. You, <laughs> you, you, you have no. You've built this whole. I can story. say that in Chinese. <laughs> you built this whole story up to this moment of right. the hero's journey. Yes. And this should have been that moment of. Yeah. I forget, you know, and the camera yeah. should have pushed in before he even said it, and then he should have said, "I forgive you." Right. And you should have had a close-up of Jatrell, who's about to die, looking up for a moment, and maybe a smile on his face. And yeah, they, a little they smile. both get it. Yeah. And then as Neelix turns, you cut to the reverse, and he's walking out. Walking out. Yes. Yeah. Or, or maybe, Fist. maybe you boom down to Jatrell, who dies in the foreground as you see Neelix walking out of walking focus. Walking away. Yeah. Something, some combination of those shots to me would have been much more. Um, it would have amplified and elevated the story, which is the director's job, not Absolutely. to not to just cover the dialogue and get home in you know ten hours or whatever. Um, and I don't. I, I felt like this felt like one of those episodes that just let's let's cover the story, you know, cover the words and get out of here. I hear you, man. I hear you, man. I think from now on, I'm just going to refer to Rick Berman as Jatrell. I'm just going to just, that's going to be my code name for Berman. It's just Jatrell. And he just sounds so, seriously, man, you don't hear it now because you, you didn't think about it. But I guarantee you, if you watch that episode again, which you probably will not, you will probably go, oh my God, Garrett's right. He sounds just like Berman. What, do, what did you get out of this one? It's probably what I got too. It's, it's... I think for me, the, the theme, well, it, it has to do with a few things like facing the truth and the reality of our lives and to stop lying to ourselves mm -hmm. and others, um, that shame is an awful burden to carry. But I think in the end, for me, you can't have peace in your life until you forgive yourself and forgive others that, that you need to forgive. Yeah. Because to me, in the very end, when Neelix walked back in just before Jatrell dies and, and he says, I forgive you and walks out, mm -hmm. you feel like that's the, that's the gold that he's lo been looking for, you know, that he's needed to find in his life. So, yeah, yeah, I guess it's about, to me, it's about forgiveness. Is the, you know. Yeah, I wrote the same thing. I just said forgiveness of self and of others. Yeah. You know, and for me, oh my gosh, like I really, especially in my 20s, like I, <laughs> like if someone did me wrong, I, I, boy, I kept that, I kept that right there. Yeah. It was there all the time. Like I relive that moment over and over again. I mean, and even now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 50, you know, I'll be 52 this year. And um, there's still things that I, I, that'll pop into my head every now and then I'll be like, God, I remember about that. But, and I, and I work very hard to sort of just quickly, as soon as that enters into my mind to kind of push that out as much yeah. as I can, because I, I, I tell you, I do believe when you relive this type of, um, this type of anger that you might have towards someone or a situation that you've experienced in your life, when you keep reliving that, your body doesn't know that it happened in the past. <laughs> your body thinks it's happening now. Um, uh, and this kind of touches upon a conversation I had recently with an with a, a actor friend of mine. And I said that I think actors have shorter lifespans. I think they have shorter lifespans. I think um, there are more actors who die earlier of cancer or what, what it may be, whatever ailment that they die of because of the stress that they put their bodies through to recreate a scene where they truly hate somebody or truly there's so much tension that and you, and if you're a good actor, you're going to get yourself to that point, right? Yeah. That you're just like so wound up and specific, you know, and I'm talking not about, sitcom actors obviously there's not a lot of tension going there but but specifically about drama right yeah so our show is definitely drama almost every episode the ship is going to blow up right so we're all going to die every episode so when you right. put your body through that over and over again it, it takes a toll on you yeah um and i think reliving or thinking about or or, or maintaining anger towards somebody um, or hatred towards somebody is very um again uh, horrible for your 
state of being your health yeah. okay and and that you have to learn how to let it go you just yeah. have to learn how to let it go and, and, and realize accept that life is unfair okay? yeah like it's never you're not going to get everything handed to you on a silver platter right yeah. um but you do have to remember that the universe is always conspiring to mm, give you the best outcome possible so more often often than not anything negative that happens in somebody's life extremely negative, tragic, uh, traumatic, is setting that person up for something much greater, much more positive down the line. Mm. That down the line could be a day later, a week later, a year later, a decade later, whatever it is, you are facing a hurdle in order to, to bounce you off to, to the next great thing if you're able to handle yeah. that hurdle. If you don't handle that hurdle, if you choose the life of, well, I know I need to end my life now, my life is horrible, you haven't really handled that hurdle. You know, yeah. the prize has not been given to you because you didn't hang around. It also reminds me uh, this episode, this theme of this episode, like with with um, Neelix, clearly he's got to resolve and come to terms with what happened to the planet, his family, and, and that horrible um, yeah. the moon, or Rynex. the moon, mm -hmm. Rynex, the moon. Yeah. Um, but to me, the thing that was almost more emotionally sad and, 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 and I could relate to, I guess, because not many of us have had to live through a Hiroshima or Nagasaki bomb. Not many of us have had, Correct. luckily, most of us live in a peaceful community and, and we're very fortunate. Most of us do. Yes. Um, but what, what I did relate to was when um, Neelix said, I lied, I've lied to you. And mm. I, and I was hiding out. I, I, you know, I, I didn't believe in this war. And so I was a deserter yeah. and I've lied about it. And I've told you stories of these battles I was in and I wasn't really in them. And that kind of forgiveness of himself and what Cass said to him, like you, you chose to do something because of your beliefs and, and what you really believed in. And she was able to kind of look at it a little differently or help him look at it a little differently so that he could forgive himself and he could, yeah. he could accept the choices he made and forgive himself for, for lying or hiding or whatever. And that's relatable to me. That really moved me a lot. It reminded me of, there's a, a, an author and a teacher named Byron Katie. I don't know if you ever heard of Byron Katie. No, but she does some amazing uh, kind of self-helpy work with. Um, How do you spell that, by the way? By Byron? B y r o n last name K a t i e Byron. And this Katie. is a woman or a man? A woman. Okay. And Byron um, Katie. Okay. Byron Katie and uh, her book that I think is fabulous is called Loving What Is, mm -hmm. but she's about accepting and kind of forgiving accepting reality, her whole mm -hmm. process of self-helpy work or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's kind of saying, all right, what are my resentments? What are the things like you said that I'm so, that I feel were unfair, that I don't want to forgive the people in my life. What are those situations? And then she kind of looks at it and says, all right, um, is that really true? That belief that you have about them, mm -hmm. you know, is it really true? Right. Um, you know, my, my father never loved me. Is that really true? Well, yeah. probably not. Like, if I really look at it, is that true? Probably not. He probably loved me, just didn't know how to show it. Yeah. And anyway, she's got these steps that you kind of, these questions you sort of ask yourself about that thing that brings you to forgiveness and acceptance, I guess, is the other word I would use. So that's a lesson, I think, of this episode is like, you know, learning how to get to a place of forgiveness and acceptance yeah. and and what a what a relief. I think Kess says something like, wow, what a burden, you know, Neelix, that you've had to carry that around with you for so long. What a burden that is. Mm. And I can relate to that. Like, you know, I think all of us can. Like we carry yeah. these secrets or these resentments or these, yeah. or these uh, things that we're ashamed of. And to be able yeah. to let go of those burdens is the is the greatest gift. So Kess is basically Neelix's Byron Katie. Um, <laughs> exactly. you know, he, she she showed him that the glass can be half full and not always empty right yeah. so yeah. and you're right i mean she she really <laughs> she sat there and she says well, you know what maybe it's not to troll that you're angry at maybe yeah. it's yourself you yeah. know maybe it's yourself she and you know what's so great to uh, let's just talk about jennifer lane that voice that's a million dollar voice <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that voice on that girl 
yeah. my gosh. I mean, it was just, it just silky smooth and resonant and, and deep. And for, and grounded. for her age, yeah, grounded. I mean, at her age, she was 18 yeah. when she yeah. started Voyager, right? Usually at 18, you know, most individuals are kind of still very awkward and very shy, not sure of themselves, don't know who they are, you know, or, or just kind of playing like a, a, a caricature of themselves and going through life. But she already just at that, at that age had such yeah. gravitas in her voice, right? Yeah, yeah she, she had a, a sense of calm about her. Yes, yes. That was good for the doctor in those scenes when she was with the doctor. It was good for Neelix. Yes. She was a great sort of counterbalance to just yeah. calming, calming the, the circumstances in the situation. Uh, I, I don't think they could have cast anybody else of, of that age. Oh, uh, no. that would have come off with that type of wisdom and that type of beautiful voice like that, you know, mm -hmm. and a calming voice, right? Mm -hmm. Calming, beautiful voice at that age is just rare. And so I think that that really was the perfect casting, um, yeah. Jennifer. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. We want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in. We're a little bit, uh, we're going to have to apologize a little bit. It was a little bit of a downer, but you know, it, sometimes you're going to, you're going to mm -hmm. have to have uh, rainy days as well as sunny days, right? So it can't always be sunshine and rainbows. Um, so thank you for listening in guys and tune in next week when we review Learning Curve, which will be the final episode of season one. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye.